0: Hello and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. My name is Rachel Ann Harding and I have some stories for you. This is the podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. Please note that this episode is a spooky one meant for more adult audiences. If you are of a sensitive nature or caregiver for those who are not fond of suspense or eerie creatures, I would suggest you skip this episode. But if you enjoy suspense and like a good chill, I would invite you to boldly continue on. This is an extra long episode because I could not decide which stories were the creepiest. So I'll leave it up to you. Love and Halloween are closely woven, like creepers winding around each other. The loss of love, pursuit of love, and being denied can break the heart and lead down dark paths. These stories are going to wander down those places of the heart and we'll follow them along. The love of wanting someone can be strong. So strong you can be transformed into a creature you might not recognize. This story is about a creature that is not quite human after all, but is from another realm, and should you see her wandering, you might be forced to go with her to the night and the realms beyond. This first story is by Liz Weir, a storyteller from Northern Ireland, and the story is called The Lan and Shee.
1: Many people have heard of the Irish Banshee, a fairy woman who foretells death. Few have heard of the Lannanshee. The Lannanshee is a fairy lover. When she sets her sights on a mortal man, he has no choice. He must follow her off to the land of the she, enchanted by her beauty. Once a young fisherman was coming home over the clifftops near Ballintoy in County Antrim, when he was followed by Alan and she. She came after him, sighing and crying and tugging at his clothes, and he knew if he looked into her eyes he'd be gone. So he pulled his cap down and he stood stuck still. She sighed, she cried, and finally she left. As he was walking home, he saw her off in the distance, burying something under a tall standing stone. He went back home. He put salt in one pocket, iron in the other, to ward off her enchantment. And he went back with a spade and dug under that stone. And he pulled out a chest. When he opened the chest, it was full of gold, Spanish gold so he brought it home and he buried it under a rowan tree for that's a magical tree she couldn't touch it there night after night again she came to his house sighing and crying and banging on his windows and he thought Oh, she give me no peace maybe if I get married she'll leave me in peace now this young man Randall was handsome he was tall Black curly hair, long black lashes, broad shoulders, narrow waist. Young men like him were, and sadly still are, as rare as hen's teeth. All the girls in the area were just mad about him. But he had eyes for one. Her name was Nancy, and her father kept a pub. He proposed to her, she accepted, but then they had to go and ask for her father's permission. No! You'll not marry him. Sure, all that boy has is a scattering of old mountainy sheep and a thatched roof that wants mending on a winter's day. But Randall mentioned the gold. Gold? Only gold that boy will ever see is on the buttercups. But when he brought the chest and opened it up, the father's eyes gleamed. He said, that's treasure trove. You could get into trouble holding that. I tell you what, I'll look after it for you. You marry my daughter. So, the match was made. Randall and Nancy married and he brought her back to his cottage and they'd just settled down for the evening when the noise started outside, the wailing, the crying. What's that love, she said. Shh, only the wind. And she was so much in love with him. She believed him and in time grew used to the sound. But then she had to go off and visit relatives. A sick granny, they say. Her young husband came home from his work, slumped down in a chair beside the fire and fell fast asleep. It was a beautiful moonlit night. All of a sudden... He was jolted awake by a long, lonely sound. When he turned and looked out the window, he found himself staring into the eyes of the Lan and She. He was bewitched. He had no choice but to follow her off to the land of the She for seven long years. And when the time was up, he came back to his own cottage. He peeped in the window. There was his wife sitting by the fire, but she was rocking a cradle. When he looked, there was another young man sitting in his seat. He opened the door and walked in. Nancy, I'm home, love. She gave a cry and said, get out of my house, old man. He said, Nancy, it's me. It's Randall, it's your husband. Oh, no, she said. My handsome young husband was drowned in the sea seven long years ago. I waited five years before I married John. No, no. Oh, if you could have seen my husband. He was so handsome. And with that, Randall stepped forward and looked into the mirror above the fire. What he saw there was an old man's face. His black hair had turned snowy white. He had lines etched in his face and his eyes were staring in his head and as he looked into that mirror what did he see reflected back but the beautiful face of the man and she. He gave a cry. He ran from that house. He was never seen again. As for the gold in the chest when Nancy's father opened it all that was there was a handful of copper beech leaves. They say it would be better for a man to be drowned in the sea than to look into the face of the Lan and she. For after that, there's nothing for him but wandering, wandering. For the face of the Lan and she is lovelier than a dream, and her song is lonelier than the seabird's call.
0: The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is simply this. Be bold, be bold, but not too bold, lest your heart's blood run cold. Should you find yourself liking someone, take care. That innocent crush could be a path paved to a darker place. This story is The Blackthorn Walking Stick, told by Colorado storyteller Dennis Gassing.
2: Now then, this is the story of the Blackthorn walking Stick. There was this man. His name was Conal Doyle. Ah, handsome lad he was, tall, dark hair, and brown eyes. And Conal Doyle, he was also a very dapper dresser. He could always be seen in the latest style. Aye, but never was he seen without his shiny Blackthorn walking Stick. And this handsome lad, oh, he had an ugly problem. "'You see, Connell Doyle, the rogue, he was in love with three different girls. "'I know, as though one weren't enough.' "'Connell,' his parents would complain, "'you'll make a show of us. "'You need to marry one of these girls, lest you bring down shame on our house.' "'What to do?' "'They were all equally pretty, although Katie O'Brien was the prettiest. "'But then she was also the poorest. "'The other two came from equally prominent families.' "'What was he to decide?' "'One night, dressed to the nine's black-torn walking-stick in hand, Connell was on his way to a party. "'And he was about taking his time getting there. "'For sure, don't you know, all three girls would be there.' "'Expecting him to make an accounting of himself. "'For sure he had been found out. "'Wondering what he was going to do, "'how to decide on which one to choose, "'he sat himself down on the short wall surrounding the cemetery.' "'Looking about in the fading light for an answer, "'it came upon him as his eyes fell upon the Morphy Mausoleum. "'Now a word about the Morphy family. "'They were a very rare family indeed. "'You see, they were filthy rich. "'As attested to by the monuments they erected to their dead. "'In this mausoleum all the dead Morphys were interned. "'Over the years a legend had been formed that the place was haunted.' Most people kept their distance. Now, this gave Connell an idea. He went over to the crypt and placed his black torn walking stick atop the lintel above the entry. Smiling to himself, he continued on his way to the party. When he reached the party, he sought out the three girls. It was obvious from the way they glared at him that they'd been discussing much more than the quality of the party punch. Connell strolled over to them, silky as you please. Annie McCoy was the first to speak her mind. "'Good evening, Connell Doyle.' Next came Peggy Flynn. "'Yes, good evening. And have you decided which of us is to be your future bride?' "'And lastly, Katie O'Brien. "'You see, two of us will be needing to make other plans.' "'for our future.' "'Well,' says Connell, "'just so happens I've come up with a plan "'on how to make my decision. "'Now you may have noticed "'that I'm without my walking-stick this evening. "'That's because I left it "'on the lintel above the entrance "'to the Morphy tomb. "'Now the girl who can go "'into the cemetery this very evening "'and fetch me my walking-stick, "'well, that's the girl I'll marry. "'Annie, will you get me "'stick this night?' Annie McCoy glared at him Connell Doyle you're daft there's no way I'm going into that Murphy tomb tonight or any other night Connell turned to the next girl "'Pigane, will you get my walking stick for me Connell if the choice is to go anywhere near that mausoleum or to remain single well I choose to be single Connell turned to the last girl that leaves you Kate Katie, will ye go get my Blackthorn?' Yeah, "'There wasn't much Katie O'Brien was afraid of. "'She was a tall, stout country girl, with thick red hair, "'and she always wore that hair in a long braid down her back.' "'She stared at Connell, with her piercing blue eyes, "'and finally said, "'Connell, I'll fetch that stick for you, "'but you best be true to your word about marrying me.' "'And with that, Kate strode across the room to the door.' "'took her shawl from a peg, pulled her braid to the front, "'and wrapped her shawl about her, "'and went out into the cool spring night. "'It was quite a walk from the party to the cemetery. "'When she finally reached the cemetery, "'she paused at that low wall surrounding it. "'As previously stated,' There wasn't much that could scare Katie O'Brien. But being in the cemetery in the wee hours of the morning would be enough to give anyone pause. She couldn't shake the feeling that she was being watched. Laughing at herself, she jumped the wall and headed toward her destination. Soon she saw the blackthorn shining in the moonlight. She reached up, just about to grab it, when she heard a faint sound coming from the tomb. Help me. Help me. It was a man's voice. Faith, said Kate, is there someone in there? help, help me. Kate peered through the double iron gates at the entrance. Heavens, someone's been put in there alive. Carefully, Kate reached out and took hold of the double handles on the gate and pulled them toward her. Slowly, she made her way down the steps into the building. Moonlight was streaming in and she could make out a marble slab with a coffin on top. The lid of the coffin looked as though it had been pushed off. Help me! As Kate approached the coffin, a sickly smell of putrefaction reached her. She peered into the coffin and found herself gazing into the cray face of a corpse. Just then, her braid slipped from under her shawl and a hand reached up and grabbed that braid. The corpse began to pull himself up and out and onto her back. It wrapped its arms around Kate's neck and said, I I gotcha now, girl. Oh, Kate tried to take the thing off, but the power had come over her. Her will was no longer her own. All she could do was stand there, paralyzed, watching the corpse as he raised his arm, pointing for her to go out the door. As if sleepwalking, Kate made her way up the steps and out and across the cemetery to the road leading toward town. On the outskirts of town, they came to a row of houses. The bony hand of the corpse pointed for her to go up to the first house, and when she reached the door, the dead man began to sniff the air. Hey, there's holy water here Go on to the next house Kate did as she was told When they reached the second house The corpse again sniffed the air And said No, no, there's holy water here too Go on to the next house, girl When they reached the next house Again the corpse sniffed the air uh, There's no holy water here Go on in as if in a dream, Katie opened the door and entered. She found herself in a large room. There was a doorway leading to the kitchen. In front of her, a staircase leading to the second floor. The hand reached out again, pointing for her to go up to the stairs. When they reached the top of the stairs, Kate was directed into one of the bedrooms, where she found three brothers sound asleep. "'I... I know these boys.' These are the McCarthy boys. I went to school with them. Never mind that. Go fetch a drinking glass off the nightstand. Kate went and got the glass. Then the corpse had her go to each of the boys and hold the glass under their wrist as he reached out with a long claw of a fingernail and pierced their skin. Oh, Kate watched in horror as the blood "'dripped into the glass, "'and in horror she watched "'as the corpse brushed a finger "'across each wound, sealing them up. "'Soon the brothers' breathing began to slow "'and their faces began to turn gray, "'and then all was silent. "'Kate was then directed to go down into the kitchen. "'I'm hungry.' I see some oatmeal left in the hearth. Mix the blood in with it and serve it up. One bowl for me and the other for you. Kate reluctantly prepared the bowls and then set the bowls and two spoons on the table. She managed to lift the corpse off her back and set it in a chair and then watched in disgust as the creature began to eat. The corpse was so intent on gobbling down his food, he didn't notice how badly Kate's hands were shaken. Shaken so badly that whenever Kate raised a spoon to her mouth, the blood-soaked oatmeal fell into her lap. Kate slowly reached into her pocket and pulled out her handkerchief, which she spread out on her lap to catch the food. When her bowl was empty... "'She bundled the full handkerchief back into her pocket. "'After a while, the dead man finished his lickin' his bowl "'and crawled back on Katie's back. "'Take me back where you found me, girl!' "'Kate was so tired, "'she thought she'd never be able to lift her burden back up. "'But that same force that had taken hold of her "'will in the cemetery took hold of her once more. "'She found herself standing and walking toward the door.' As she started out the door she stopped and asked Tell me are those are those boys dead Almost they'll surely be gone by this time tomorrow Is there no way to save them Only by eating some of that bloody meal But then we've eaten it all haven't we girl <laughs> Oh stop stop here look girl The corpse he pointed to the field where there were three piles of stone. Do you see those three heaps of stone in that field? When I was alive, I buried gold under those piles. Boxes of gold. Much good it did me. Now only the dead know about them. Down the road they went, and with each step, Kitty's burden grew heavier and heavier. When they finally reached a cemetery, a rooster crowed. Kate turned her head to listen. "'Did you hear that, rooster? "'Oh, it's so late, sir. "'Would you let me put you down here? "'It's so late my mother will be worried about me.' "'No, girl. "'You're going to stay with me.' (laughs) "'Try as she would, Kate could not keep her feet from moving forward. "'She thought she saw a faint glow in the eastern sky, "'and then she heard the rooster crow again. "'Never mind that, girl. "'It's only an old owl hooting in the woods.' Aye, but Kate she knew better. She found that she was able to at least slow her pace. Suddenly, the ting began to hit her. He dug his nails into her neck. Move, girl, if you know what's good for you. Kate tried to resist, but no matter how hard she tried, her feet kept moving.
1: Inside,
2: cried the corpse, at the entrance of the crypt. Kitty looked for some means of escape, and then she saw it—the black torn stick. It was still sitting above the gate with her last breath of strength Kate said a quick prayer, reached up grabbed a blackthorn, slammed shut the gate and jammed a stick between the narrow handles, sealing the tomb just then, the rooster crowed for the third time, and a ray of sunlight shone through the trees with a shriek, the corpse fell away from her Kate watched as the ting tried to crawl into the shadows but soon, he was only a pile of ashes, in the morning sunlight Kate stood there for a moment shaking, but then realizing she was free, she began to run. She ran back to the McCarthy house. When she got to the front door, she heard wailing coming from upstairs. Kate went in and up to the bedroom where she found Mrs. McCarthy. Poor Mrs. McCarthy, rocking one of her sons in her arms. Kate took Mrs. McCarthy by the shoulders. I, I can bring your, uh, I can bring your boys back to life, Mrs. McCarthy. Poor Mrs. McCarthy looked up at her. Katie O'Brien, where did you come from? Oh, Katie, my sons are all dead. Not quite, not quite. Tell me, Mrs. McCarthy, would you give me that field over there with the three stone piles, if I could bring your boys back to life? What? What a. "'But of course I'd do anything to bring me sons back. "'But look at them, Katie, they're all dead!' "'Katie reached into her pocket and pulled out the handkerchief. "'Going to each of the lads, "'she pushed some of the bloody oatmeal into each of their mouths. "'Slowly the flush came back to their faces, "'and they began to breathe, as though in a deep sleep. "'Finally they opened their eyes, "'wondering at the two women looking over them. In the two weeks that followed... "'They began to dig in that field, Katie and the three McCarthy boys. "'They found three boxes filled with gold. "'By the end of the third week, who should turn up but himself? Connell Doyle.' "'Well, Kate, I understand you're a rich woman. "'Tell me, are you ever going to bring me me blackthorn walking-stick?' "'Kate turned those piercing blue eyes on him.' "'as though someone had dropped holy water in the devil's whiskey, "'She told him, "'You may go fetch your own wacking stick, Connell Doyle. "'You'll find it jammed in the handles of the Murphy tomb. "'I reckon you know what you can do with it. "'Don't you ever talk to me again?' "'Eventually, Kate married the eldest McCarthy boy, "'and with that gold they built a fine house. "'And in that fine house they raised a fine family.' A fine family who were never fed oatmeal. Oh, and Kate and her husband, they nailed up a fine box over each entrance to that fine house, and inside each fine box they put a bottle of holy water. Just in case.
0: The next and final story on this episode crept into my ears, curled into my brain, and I've not been able to shake it from my mind since I heard it. I hope it does the same to you, but perhaps you should not listen to this one before bed. The storyteller is Milbury Birch, and the story is Mama Gone.
3: My mama died four nights ago, giving birth to my baby sister Anne. Bubba cried, Mama Gone, in his little boy voice. And I never let out a single tear. "'There was blood red as any sunset "'all over the bed from that birthing, "'and when Papa saw it, "'he rubbed his head against the cabin wall "'over and over and over "'and made little animal sounds. "'Suki washed Mama down "'and placed the baby on her breast for a moment. "'Remember,' she whispered. "'Mama gone,' Bubba wailed again, "'but I never cried. "'By all rights, we should have buried Mama "'with garlic in her mouth "'and her hands and feet cut off, "'what with her being vampire kin and all.' But Papa absolutely refused. Your mama couldn't stand garlic, he said, when the sound stopped rushing out of his mouth and his eyes had cleared. It made her come all over with rashes. She had the sweetest mouth and hands. And that was that. Not one of us could make him change his mind. Not even Grandad Stokes or Pop Wilbur or any other of the men who come to pay their last respects. And as Papa's a preacher and a brimstone man, they let it be. The only thing he would allow was for us to tie red ribbons round her ankles and wrists, a kind of sign, like a line of blood. Everybody hoped that would do. But on the next day, she rose out from her grave and commenced to prey upon the good folk of the holler. Of course she come to our house first, that being the dearest place she knew. I saw her outside my window, gray as a gravestone, her dark eyes like holes in a shroud. When she stared in, she didn't know me though I'd always been her favorite. "Mamma be gone, I said, and waved my little cross at her, the one she'd give me the very day I'd been born. Avant, that old Bible word set heavy in my mouth. She put her hand up on the window frame, and as I watched, the gray fingers turned splotchy pink from all the garlic I'd rubbed into the wood. Black tears dropped from her black eyes then, but I never cried. She tried each wind in turn, and not a person awake in the house but me. But I had done my work well, and the garlic held her out. She even tried the door, but it was no use. By the time she left, I was so sleepy, I dropped down right by the door. Papa found me there at cockcrow. He never did ask what I was doing, and if he guessed, he never said. Little Joshua Greeno was found dead in his crib. The doctor took two days to come over the mountains to pronounce it. By then, the garlic around his little bed to keep him from walking, too, had mixed with the death smells. Everybody knew, even the doctor and him a city man. It hurt his mom and papa sore to do the cutting, but it had to be done. The men came to our house that very noon to talk about what had to be. Papa kept shaking his head all through their talking, but even his being a preacher didn't stop him. Once a vampire walks these mountain hollers... There's nary a house or barn that's safe. Nighttime is lost time, and no one can afford to lose much stock. So they made their sharp sticks out of green wood, the curling shavings littering our cabin floor. Bubba played in them, not understanding. Suki was busy with the baby, nursing it with a bottle and a sugar teat. It was my job to sweep up the wood curls. They felt slick on one side, bumpy on the other, like my heart. Papa said, "'I was the one let her turn into a nightwalker. "'It's my business to stake her out.' "'No one argued, especially not the Greenos. "'Their eyes still red with weeping. "'Just take my children,' Papa said. "'And if anything goes wrong, cut off my hands and feet "'and bury me at Mill's Cross under the stone. "'There's garlic hanging in the pantry. "'Mandy Jane will string me some.' "'So Suki took the baby and Bubba off to the Greenos' house, "'that seeming the right thing to do. "'And I stayed the rest of the afternoon with Papa.' "'stringing garlic and pressing more into the windows, "'but the strand over the door he took down. "'I have to let her in somewhere,' he said, "'and this is where I'll make my stand.' "'He touched me on the cheek, the first time ever. "'Papa never has been much for show. "'Now you run along to the greenos, Mandy Jane,' he said, "'and remember how much your mama loved you. "'This isn't her child. Mama's gone. "'Something else has come to take her place.' I should have remembered that the good book says, The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. I wanted to ask him how the vampire knew to come first to our house then, but I was silent, for Papa had been asleep and hadn't seen her. I left without giving him a daughter's kiss, for his mind was well set on the night's doing, but I didn't go down the lane to the Greenhouse at all. Wearing my triple strand of garlic with my cross about my neck, I went to the burying ground, to Mama's grave. It looked so raw against the green and hillside. The dirt was red clay, but all it looked like to me was blood. There was no cross on it yet, no stone. That would come in a year. Just a hump and a heaping of red dirt over a coffin, a plain pinewood box hastily made. I lay face down in that dirt, my arms open wide. Oh, Mama, I said, the good book says you are not dead, but sleepeth. Sleep quiet, mamma. Mama. "'Sleep well.' "'And I sang to her the lullaby she'd always sung to me, "'and then to Bubba, and would have sung to Baby Ann "'had she lived to hold her. "'Blacks and bays, Doubles and greys, "'all the pretty little horses.' "'And as I sang, I remembered Papa thundering "'at prayer meeting once. "'Behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death.' and the rest of the song just stuck in my throat then, so I turned over on the grave and stared up at the setting sun. It had been a long and wearying day, and I fell asleep right there in the burying ground. Any other time fear might overcome sleep, but I just closed my eyes and slept. When I woke, it was dead night. The moon was full and sitting between the horns of two hills. There was a sprinkling of stars overhead. "'and Mama began to move the ground beneath me, trying to rise. "'The garlic strands must have worried her, "'for she did not come out of the earth all at once. "'It was the scrabbling of her long nails at my back that woke me. "'I leaped off that grave and was wide awake. "'Standing beside the grave, "'I watched as first her long, gray arms reached out of the earth, "'then her head, with its hair that was once so gold, "'now gray and streaked with black, and its shroud eyes emerged.' And then her body in its winding sheet, stained with dirt and torn from walking to and fro upon the land. Then her bare feet with blackened nails, though alive Mama used to paint those nails, her one vanity. And Papa allowed it, seeing she was so pretty and otherwise not vain. She turned toward me as a hummingbird toward a flower, and she raised her face up, and it was gray and bony. Her mouth peeled back from her teeth, and I saw that they were pointed, and her tongue was barbed. Mama gone, I whispered in Bubba's voice, but so low I could hardly hear it myself. She stepped toward me off that grave, lurching down the hump of dirt, but when she got close the garlic strands and the cross stayed her, Mama, she turned her head back and forth. It was clear she could not see with those black shroud eyes. She only sensed me there, something warm, something alive, something with the blood running like satisfying streams through the blue veins. Mama, I said again, try and remember. That searching, awful face turned toward me again, and the pointy teeth were bared once more. Her hands reached out to grab me and then pull back. "'Remember how Bubba always sucks his thumb with that funny little noise "'you always said was like a little chuck in its hole? "'And how Suki hums through her nose when she's baking bread? "'And how I listen to your belly to hear the baby? "'And how Papa always starts each meal with the blessing on things "'that grow fresh in the field?' "'The gray face turned for a moment toward the hills, "'and I wasn't even sure she could hear me, but I had to keep trying.' "'And remember when we picked the blueberries "'and Bubba fell down the hill tumbling, head in over, "'and we laughed until we heard him "'and he was saying the same six things over and over "'till long past bedtime? "'The gray face turned back toward me, "'and I thought I saw a bit of light in the eyes, "'but it was just reflected moonlight. "'And the day Papa come home with that new ewe lamb "'and we fed her on a sugar teat, "'you stayed up all the night "'and I slept in the straw by your side.' It was as if stars were twinkling in those dead eyes. I couldn't stop staring, but I didn't dare stop talking either. And remember the day the bluebird stunned itself on the kitchen window and you held it in your hands? You warmed it to life, you said. To life, Mama. Those stars begun to run down the gray cheeks. There's living, Mama, and there's dead. You've given so much to life. Don't be bringing death to these hills now. I could see that the stars were gone from the sky over her head. The moon was setting. Papa loved you too much to cut your hands and feet. You gotta return that love, Mama. You gotta. Veins of red ran along the hills outlining the rocks. As the sun began to rise, I took off one strand of garlic, then the second, then the last. I opened my arms. Have you come back, Mama? Or are you gone? The gray woman leaned over and clasped me tight in her arms. Her head bent down toward mine, her mouth on my forehead, my neck, the outline of my little gold cross burning across her lips. She whispered, Here and gone, child. Here and gone. In a voice like the shaking of willow leaves, I felt her kiss on my cheek. Then the sun came between the hills and hit her full in the face, burning her as red as earth. She smiled at me, and then there was only dust motes in the air, dancing. When I looked down at my feet, the grave dirt was hardly disturbed, but Mama's gold wedding band gleamed atop of it. I knelt down and picked it up and unhooked the chain holding my cross. I slid the ring onto the chain, and the two nestled together right in the hollow of my throat. I sang again, Blacks and Bays, apples and grays and from the earth itself the final word sung out all the pretty little horses that was when i cried long and loud a sound i hope never to make again as long as i live and then i went back down the hill and home where papa still waited by the open door
0: Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode 12. Show the love. Find Liz Weir, Dennis Gessing, and Milbury Birch on Facebook. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that and get an extra story per podcast. The bonus story for patrons for episode 12 is Millbury Birch's Beast Clabre. And you can find those options at storystorypodcast.com. And I want to say thank you to our supporters on Patreon. I appreciate you. If you would like to stay connected or offer feedback, you can find me in the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or join the mailing list. You can leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or however else you listen to your podcasts. This helps other people find the stories and is so appreciated. Let us know your favorite story you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I'll be back with stories again. I hope you'll join me. And until then, live happily ever after.